Welcome to our look at verses 13 to 16 of Ephesians chapter 4, day 3 of our look at this chapter. We've been talking about the things that build unity between us as believers, which is really one of the most vital things about our walk in Christ. If I'm going to walk well as a believer, walk in faith, and I need to walk in unity with other believers because that's where I get the strength from. These last couple days, we've talked about the need to have the attitudes of humility and gentleness and patience. We've talked about giving it your all to trust in the Spirit's unity. We've talked about appreciating unity through diversity. We've talked about respect for God-given leaders. And then there's one final thing we want to focus on. You want unity? You decide to use your gifts to serve others. Remember yesterday, we talked about that the Leaders in the church are given to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So that the body of Christ might be built up. When we get to verse 16, we're going to read that the body is built up as each part does its work. There is no unity without service. Serving with one another and serving one another is what builds our unity with one another. Unity is not found in just sitting in a room and talking about love. It's found in taking our God-given gifts and using them in concert with each other to serve Jesus in this world, to serve Jesus in the church. That's why God has given us spiritual gifts, to build each other up with. Warren Wiersbe has said, spiritual gifts are not toys to play with. They're not weapons to fight one another with. They're tools to build with. We build God's church with these tools of the gifts he's given us. Now, why does God give us spiritual gifts? There's a lot of ideas out there. Some people think it's for proof of spirituality, and that's not so. Or for some personal ecstasy, like it makes me feel good about myself. Or even others think, I get this gift as a, as a reward. If I, if I do this, I'm going to get that gift, and I'm going to look better than you. No, that's not what it's about at all. Gifts are God-given abilities of service. Servanthood is the purpose of spiritual gifts. And God's goal in all of this is unity. He he sums up what we've been talking about in verse 13, Ephesians 4, 13. He does this until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, we've come full circle. Our unity is built on our individual gifts And here, our individual gifts grow back into our unity until you reach unity, until you become mature, until you attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, that phrase, the whole measure, it's not about us measuring up. It's about Christ doing the full measure of his work in us. Our growth is not just a continuing process. It will be that all the time we're on this earth, the continuing process of growth. But the Bible teaches that it's also to be a completed project. When will it be finished? It'll be finished when we see Jesus together in heaven. It's a lifetime project, but it's a worthwhile lifetime project. The unity of God's church. In fact, the picture here is it's the fullness of Christ. What's that mean? Until we reach the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That phrase, the fullness of Christ, means the church. It's the honor of the church. We've been talking together about unity and the importance of the church. And as Paul has talked about this, at the end of, of the, talking about the ways that you and I can build the church, he paints a picture of the difference that unity makes. He shows, he shows us what an immature looks, church looks like, and then he contrasts that with the picture of a mature church. The picture of an immature church is in Ephesians 4.14. 
Then he says we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. He says here that immature churches and immature people are controlled by three things. Circumstances, new ideas, selfish people. Circumstances, they're tossed back and forth by the waves. Every circumstance that comes into the church changes the direction of the church and the hope and the faith of the church. Immature churches and people are also controlled by new ideas. Every wind of teaching. Jesus described his teaching as a rock that you could stand on. Paul here describes false teaching as a wind. And you never know exactly which way the wind's going to be blowing. might be interesting, but it's nothing you can stand on. And he also says a picture of an immature church is that it's controlled not just by circumstances and quote-unquote new ideas. It's also controlled by selfish people, the cunning and craftiness of men. When a selfish person finds an immature church, they'll use that church to try to get what they want. That word craftiness, it's interesting, it comes from the Greek word kubia, which literally means skill in manipulating the dice, cheating the game. And there are people who are looking for immature churches so they can cheat and get what they want out of the church rather than serve and do what God wants in the church. That's the picture of an immature church. That's not the only picture in these verses. There's also the picture of a mature church. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Instead, he says, instead of that other picture, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Immature churches are controlled by the three things we just talked about. Mature churches give control to Christ in three areas that we see in these verses. Now notice the difference between being controlled by something or giving control to someone. You can't control your own destiny, but we do get to choose who will control our destiny. We can give it up to false teachers or we can let Christ control. And mature churches, mature people give control to Christ in three areas. Our communication, the way that we talk to each other, our direction, the way we make decisions, and our service, the way that we serve each other. Notice he says, speaking the truth in love. That's our communication. False teachers don't speak the truth in love. They tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. That's why false teaching can be so attractive. But Paul says here, when a church becomes mature, they're not chasing after false teachers anymore. They're speaking the truth in love. That's a sign of maturity. You can also see it not just in our communication, but in our direction, the way that we make decisions. We, we grow up into him who is the head. We make decisions looking to him who is the head. Jesus Christ is a part of the decisions in my life. I don't just make them on my own anymore. I look to him. We look to him. A mature church realizes that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and looks to him as, as we make decisions together. If Jesus is the head, that means I got to look to him in the decisions of the church. And then we also are mature in, in our service, our communication, our direction, and our service, the way we serve together. The whole body joined together by every joint and ligament, growing and building itself up in love. Remember, the picture of a church is a body, and this is a strong picture of the body of Christ. What would an organizational chart of the church look like? It would be the picture of a body. And look at how the, the body serves together in these verses. It's joined and held together by every supporting ligament in love as each part does its work. That's how we work together in Christ. 
And we've walked through these verses fairly quickly in Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. And you may need to listen to one, of the, one or two of these again because I know I've, I've rushed through some very important points. But as we come to this end of, of a look at what it means to be a mature church, a growing church, a church that is uni, unified together in Christ, I'd, I'd like to do something a little different for our prayer time today. We have a membership covenant here at Saddleback that's based on the New Testament call of every believer. And I'd like to walk through that with you in our prayer time and just let you ask before the Lord or maybe even recommit before the Lord your decision to be a part of a great church, your decision to make the commitments and to do the things that make a church great. Because a church is nothing but the members that are in it. So as I read this membership covenant and you pray together, just say to Jesus Christ, Lord, I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love towards other members, by refusing to gossip, by following the leaders, I'll protect the unity. Lord, I will share the responsibility of my church by, by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. I'll share the responsibility to reach out. Lord, I will serve in the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve by my pastors and leaders, and God, by developing a servant's heart. And Lord, I recommit to you today that I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully to be with other believers, not forsaking our gathering together, by living a godly life, by giving regularly to you. I'll support what you're doing in your body, your church. Jesus Christ, it is your church. You are the head of the church. And I recommit myself to you, to follow you, together with other believers. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, join us tomorrow as we begin a look at Ephesians 4, 17. We're going to be looking at the incredible ways that God works change into our lives as believers.